0: Amen. Well, it's good to see you here today. We are continuing in our series on the Ten Commandments. This is week 13. We're going to look at commandment number 11 today, which is, Thou shalt not add commandments. And uh, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 20, so I encourage you to turn there. And uh, let's set a little bit of a stage. In Exodus chapter 19, God has initiated a conversation with the children of Israel, and it was a scary time. Uh, He said, Now listen, Three days from now, he tells them in Exodus 19.10, in three days I'm going to get together with you people. For two days, I want you to just set that aside as a time of consecration. And on the third day, I'm going to show up and we're going to have a uh, conversation. They had set barriers. He said put barriers around the mountain to keep them away the first and second day. And they had possibly put up some of those barricades they're putting up down here on 2.15 now to keep people away from the mountain. But on the third day, we're going to come together. Look at what it says in Exodus 19. 1913. It's going to be scary up until then. But in 1913 it says, When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. That's when they're supposed to come. And somehow they had missed that part. They, they got the whole scary mountain and dropped dead on pains of death. You've been warned, all that. But they missed that part somehow where he said, When the trumpet sounds, then come up to the mountain. They missed that. And certainly it was scary. It says in Hebrews 12, Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Well, on the third day they're supposed to appear, and then in ch- uh, chapter 20, verses 1 through 17, Moses reads the commandments to them, the commandments that God had written on <clears throat> two sides of two tablets. And after, th- after he reads that, we have our text for today. We're going to be dealing with Israel after the law, and in verse 18 is where we're going to begin. It says in verse, chapter 20, verse 18, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off, and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of Him may be before you, that you may not sin. Verse 21, the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And friends, with this event, everything changed for the children of Israel. The personal relationship that God had intended to have with every one of the children of Israel, this event changed it right here. And they decided to go for something that would be easier and a bit less frightening. And how many of us know relationships are hard work? Aren't they? It's not easy to have a good relationship, a good marriage, a good friendship. It's hard work. And they can be scary and they can be uncomfortable. Don and I have an amazing relationship. We're so blessed by each other. But friends, it's been it's been the result of years of, of really hard work. One of our sons in the first ever said amen. <laughs> you know, they got to see too so much of it. But friends, it's the result of labor. That we end up with a relationship with someone. Pastor Kevin and myself have a wonderful working relationship. It's because over years we have put hours and hours and hours into that relationship. Working things out. And God is able to do more through two of any people than He is through one. But it's the result of relationship. And relationships are hard work. And the people look at the relationship of God and they say, you know... I think I'll pass on that one. Moses, you go talk to him for us. Now, certainly God had told him over in Exodus chapter 33, any man that sees my face will die. You cannot see my face and live. Okay, I get it. There's a warning there. But friends, God had wanted a relationship with them so much that he said, I'll do whatever's necessary to have the relationship. I'll come in wearing a box on my head. You just come. I just want to have a relationship with you. And they said, we don't want a relationship with you under any circumstances. Moses will go take care of that. We're glad for him to die. (laughs) And then tell us about it. That's funny. But we would rather not run the risk. Now listen. Here's the tragedy of the thing. Look over in Deuteronomy 5. Keep something there in in Exodus. The people already knew it was entirely possible to have this kind of intimacy, this kind of relationship with God and survive. They knew it was possible to be in His presence and not die. In Deuteronomy 5.24, they are the ones who said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness. Now, he didn't show him his face, but he showed him his glory and greatness. He told Moses, there's a cleft in the rock and you step in that cleft and I'll put my hand over you and I'll pass by and you can just see the afterburners of when I pass by. You can see my glory and of my presence, greatness, but they won't see his face. We, we've seen this in Deuteronomy 5.24. We've heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day, we have seen that God will speak with man and man still live. They knew it. And then they look at him and say, but why run the risk? <laughs> you know, we don't want to chance it. So here's what we're saying in verse 25. Now, therefore, why should we die? Let's send Moses in there. Here's an idea. For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, we shall die. We've already heard it, but if we hear any more, we shall die. Who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and still lived? This is the insanity of it. They're answering their own questions. Who has heard His voice and lived? Oh, that would be us. But no, Moses, verse 27, you go near and hear all that the Lord our God will say and speak to us all that the Lord our God will speak to you and we will hear... And do it. The children of Israel looked at the hard work ahead of them. And today, what I would like for us to do is to look at three things that they set between them and God. There are three things, at least three things, that they said, No, we'll choose that over a relationship with God. And then we're going to ask Jesus, How have we done and how are we doing the exact same things today? Because three things that they did. First off, they chose Moses over a personal relationship with God. Secondly, they chose idolatry over a personal relationship. And then thirdly, they chose legalism over a personal relationship. Let's look at these three things. First off, they chose Moses over a personal relationship. Look back there in Exodus chapter 20, verse 19. It says, And they said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us, lest we die. I call this the invention of the clergy class. The setting aside of a group of people who it's their job. You're supposed to go hear Jesus. You're supposed to go spend time with God. You run the risk of dropping dead in His presence. We don't want to run that risk. You go talk to Him. You hear what He has to say and then you bring it to us and we will decide if you heard correctly or not. You bring it to us and we will decide whatever we choose to believe. And by the way, while you're in there talking with God, why don't you tell Him for us, don't you ever pull that kind of a stunt with us again. You scared us. It's the invention of a a group of people that are supposed to be more holy than normal people. I had a guy tell me that one time. You know, well, of course you're a preacher. I'm a pastor. I'm I'm normal. Okay, you be normal. <laughs> That's great, Bertie. It's a group of people who are expected to hear God and. Then we'll decide if we want to believe it or not. Friends, this was never God's plan. God's plan was that each one of the children of Israel have a personal relationship with Him, be personally, intimately involved with Him. Each one of them, a priest. each one of them able to bring their neighbors, their friends, into a relationship with God. Did you know that every one of you who have accepted Jesus as your Savior are as qualified to lead anyone to Christ as anyone who's ever stood in a pulpit? You are qualified. He's raised us up to be a kingdom, a nation is what he said in Peter, of, king, of kings and priests, people who are going to bring people to Jesus. And that's what he invited the children of Israel into, and they said no. He asked them to be missional, he asked them to be evangelistic, he put them at the crossroads of the ancient world, and they said no, we will not have anything to do with it. Now, this relationship is absolutely predicated on their obedience. He looks at them in Exodus 19, go back to Exodus Exodus 19, it says, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. This is predicated on obedience. But friends, the promise that he gives his side of the covenant in 19.5 and 6 is, you'll be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. You will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So, the people hear this, they hear this invitation, their response is in 19.8. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. That sounds good. But what they ended up doing was they ended up choosing a second-hand relationship with God where they chose Moses over God. And they said, we want Moses to go in there and talk to him. That way we'll have somebody to blame <laughs> when it all goes wrong. But friends, we see people all the way through the Bible who are determined they're going to know God. You remember when Jesus came through Sychar and there's that woman sitting, that woman out at the well and he sitting there and said, I need some water He told her everything she had done. She goes running in town and here comes all of town. Do you realize that after a few days of visiting with Jesus, the townspeople looked at him and said in John 4, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. There are a group of people who say, I will not turn him loose. I will not trust in Jesus because of what you say. I'm going to have a relationship with Him. Over in Acts chapter 17, when Paul was on one of his missionary journeys, he came to the town of Berea. And he said, those Bereans, they're more noble than the folks in Thessalonica because on Sunday afternoon after I get done preaching, the Bereans, they receive the word with eagerness and then they examine the Scriptures daily to see if the things that we say are so. They go home Sunday afternoon and read those passages. Did he get it right? Let's they were not satisfied with anyone's version of what God has to say. They're going to find out for themselves. And friends, there's something noble about the Jacobs of this life who when they're wrestling with Jesus in Genesis 33 and Jesus says, it's time to let me go. He says, I will not let you go until you bless me. How many times have we gotten alone with Jesus for no purpose other than to say, I've just got to be with you. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. You know, you have, you have Elisha. You have Elijah and then you have Elisha. And the way I remember which came first is they're in alphabetical order. Elijah J and Elisha S. And it came time for Elijah to head out. He had a, he had a ride to catch, right? It was a smoking ride too. so it's time for him to head out. And Elisha says, I'm going with you. And three times, three times Elijah looks at him and says, you need to stay here. You don't need to go any farther. You need to stay here. Elisha says, I am not stopping. Wherever you're going, I'm going. And we look at that and you go, well, maybe he had some uh, codependent issues. You know, maybe he was just a little more dependent on Elijah than he should have been. Friends, it wasn't Elijah that he was after. It wasn't Elijah that he was after, it was Jesus he was after. It was after the power that was empowering Elijah. That's who Elisha was seeking. Three times Elijah said, You know, you stop here over in Second Kings chapter two. No, I'm going on. Two times he ran into the schools of the prophets. One of them was in Jericho. More religious leaders and more Bible students in Jericho than any other town in the country. And they came out to Elisha and said, Don't you know that your master's leaving today? Yeah, I know, I know. It's Greyhound. He's heading out. I know. Well, you ought not be following him. No, I'm following him all the way. Well, you need to let him go. Friends, it's not about hanging on to Jesus, to, to Elijah. Elisha was determined to find the Jesus that empowered Elijah. And Elijah looked at him and said, Okay, here's the deal. You've stuck with me. You've followed me all the way across this river. Here's the deal. You see me when I get on that chariot, you'll have a double portion blessing. And it depends on how you read it. But Elijah performed seven miracles... Like I say, how you read it, Elijah performed anywhere from thirteen to fifteen sounds pretty close to double to me, doesn't it? And friends, it wasn't about he couldn't turn loose of Elijah, it was that Elisha had to have more of Jesus. He had to have his own relationship with him. And it's easy to look at relationship and say, well, that's a lot of work. I just I just don't know if I can do that. That person's so scary. Every time around they scare me. You go talk to him. It's like a bunch of two-year-old, like a bunch of junior hires. Would you take this note to her and see if she likes me? I'll like her if she likes me. What a bunch of nonsense. At some point we have to grow up, amen? And we step into His presence and we look at the storm and we say, dear God, this is scary. And He says, I know, come on. I don't know what it would have been like. I don't know how scary it could have been. I've seen some storms. We're in tornadoes and seen tornadoes and... My dad built this structure out in the backyard. It was just the, the beast of a building. and About three feet off the ground, about seven, eight feet off the ground, it was plexiglass. What in the world are you doing? And he said, oh, we're going to go out there and watch the storms. <laughs> and we did. I remember when I was a little guy, we were standing next to the dryer and there was a 220 outlet. And he said, you touch that and it will turn you into a french fry. And lightning was going on. We were standing with the door open right next to it, and he said, "And lightning hit." And he said, "And that hits you; it'll turn you into a burned French fry." So I've stayed away from burned French fries ever since. I've seen a lot of storms, and I've just—I've always been fascinated by what what was going on that it was scaring them so much. How frightening! How terrifying! But friends, God's invitation has always been Jeremiah 31: Let me put my law inside of you. Let me write it on your heart. If you'll let me do that, then no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest. And why will they know me? Because I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sin no more. Friends, that's the covenant he invites us into. And Hebrews 8 says this new covenant is so much better than the old covenant because it's a personal relationship with him. He's offering it to us again where you come into him. And it's easy to have a relationship with God through someone, but that's not what he wants. It's always been come. Old Testament, New Testament, it's always been come. Isaiah eighteen one, come, and let's just let's just talk about it. How did your day go today? Well, it was kind of sucky today. Well, let's just let's just talk about it. I'm just so miserable. I, I I don't have any peace. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Just to spend time with Him. That's His invitation. Come and let's reason together, saith the Lord. It's the Old Testament in Joel chapter 2 where He said, Come, come and call on the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. And in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, we know that passage so well. Jesus looks at Him and says, If you're tired, if you're weary, if you're beat up, if you're worn out, you come to Me and I'll give you rest. Take My yoke on you and learn of Me. And you'll find that rest to your soul. And friends, really, the hallmark of the church is that in conjunction, in concert, in unison with the Spirit, according to Revelation 22, it is the Spirit and the Bride who look at all the world and say, What? Come. Come on. All of you that are thirsty, come. You don't have anything to drink, come. buy water that has no cost, just come. And that's the invitation that we extend to the world. Who is it that you've placed between you and a relationship with Jesus? And it's easy to do that. It's easy to let our spouse be good enough, you know. They're a good enough source of what God has to say. We had an old woman that her husband died. He was a pastor. Not long after he died, she said, You know, I've been reading some of the Bible, and a lot of the stuff he said was in there. It really is in there. <laughs> really, that's the beatenest thing. Who would have thought? Who is it you have in your life that's good enough? Is it your youth pastor? Well, Josh is a good guy. He's a great guy. He's doing a wonderful job. Amen? And all the parents of young people said, "Friend, friend, he, he's not good enough to be a substitute for you for Jesus. You got somebody on this staff that, well, they're good enough. They're a good enough source. And we have some great people on this staff, but none of them are good enough to be a substitute for Jesus. My grandpa loved Jesus and he loved me. He's been dead for 36 years. He cannot be a substitute for me and Jesus. Friend, who is it that you have placed in front of Jesus? And here's the amazing thing. Children of Israel placed Moses between them and God. Here, you go talk to him. I was reading in Psalm 103 this morning. It says, And Moses knew his ways and the people saw his works. They got to see all the miracles. They saw the oil come in, the manna, the, 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 the Red Sea part, the, the enemy destroyed. They saw all the works. But you know what? They saw the works. Do you know what Moses got? He got to see the ways. They saw what he did. He knew why he did it. They saw what he did. Moses knew why he did it. And friends, that's what relationship is. That's what relationship is. When you know someone well enough to know, you know, they're not out to get me. They're not out to ruin me. Or maybe they are out to ruin you. (laughs) Stay away from them. But to know what they're thinking, why they're thinking it, and in order to know that, friends, it is the work of relationship. First off, they chose Moses over personal relationship. God's asking to have a personal relationship with you. Secondly, they chose idolatry over personal relationship. Look there in Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. A part of the covenant is in verse 22. This is what I want you to tell the children of Israel, people of Israel. You have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to me, to be with me. Nor shall you make for yourselves gods of gold. Don't make gods of silver. Don't make gods of gold. And so the children of Israel stand there and said, Okay, good. We got it. We get it. No no false gods. No gods of silver, gods of gold. We get it. We're going to obey you for 15 minutes. Go. And Moses had read to them in chapters 21, 22, and 23 the conditions of the covenant. They understood it fully. They understood it completely. They said, We will obey God said, If you'll do this, then I'll protect you, I'll lead you into the land, I'll stay with you, I'll make sure you're taken care of. Exodus twenty three thirty, until you have creased enough to take possession of the land. Verses chapter nineteen five, you will be my treasured possession among all the people of the earth. You'll be my kingdom of priests, a holy nation. He's inviting them into an intimate relationship. They knew it, and look there in nineteen eight. They look at him and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We get it, we will do it. 19, in Exodus 24.3, all, th- all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. 24.7, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We will be obedient. How well do you think they did? How well do you do on Sunday afternoon? <laughs> Friends, they had the covenant explained to them. They swore before the court of eternity on the blood of the covenant, we will obey And it took exactly eight chapters. (laughs) Eight chapters. How long does it take you to read eight chapters? Eight chapters. For them in Exodus 32, 1 to say, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up! Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses... The man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Friends, before the chisel marks are dry on the tablets, they have broken their own promises. And the covenant of relationship, they broke it as if, as if it was nothing. The covenant, don't ever make a, a golden or a silver God in front of me. They broke it and looking thirty 32.4. Aaron took the gold that they brought to him and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. the response of the people was, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And friends, it is so easy to accredit to the works of our own hands those things that God has done in our lives that only He could have done and only He has done. And how easy is it to say, No, I'm the one who did this. It's my credit rating that got me that great loan. It's my faithfulness. It's my diligence at work that got me that promotion. It's my good looks that got me that spouse, who's going to divorce me in seven years if we live according to the national average. It's it's all about me. It was it was my intelligence that got me that scholarship. It's it's my medicine. It's my doctor. Boy, you got to see my chiropractor's is so much better than yours. Yeah, you know, it's because you, if you tell him that I sent you, he'll give you the real medicine instead of Tic Tacs. You know. How many times do we say it's the result of our own works that we've been brought out of the land of Egypt rather than recognizing, no, God's the one who did this. He's the only one who could have done this. And yet we place idols, friends, when we place in front of ourselves what we have been able to accomplish and claim it's our own doing, we run the risk of setting an idol up between us and Jesus so that now we really are worshiping the work of our own hands. And God does not take that lightly. Look there in Exodus 32. It's kind of funny. There's a a twinge of remorse for Aaron. It says in verse 5, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Okay, we'll worship God first thing in the morning. In the afternoon, we're going to do what we want to do. We're going to, we're going to go worship whatever we want to worship. It's kind of like religious hash, you know. They just take a little bit of everything that's left in the refrigerator, throw it in a pot and stir it around a bit. Vance Havner said, I don't eat hash when I'm away from the house because I don't know what's in it. And I don't eat hash at the house because I do know what's in it. And they have taken and syncretistically made a religious hash. We'll have a little bit of worship of God and a little bit of worship of everything else and we'll just make ourselves happy. We'll do whatever we want to here. Moses up on the mountain, God comes to him and says, you need to head down. on his way down, verse 17, look in Exodus 32, 17. He comes to Joshua. Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted. He said to Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. He said, it's not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. It takes maturity to be able to rightly identify rebellion. And then he gets down to the camp, and look there in verse 24. He turns to Aaron and says, What did this people do to you That you have brought such a great sin upon them. Do they have, do they have photos of you doing? Do they have a secret on you? What in the world did they do to you? And Aaron gives the perfect response. Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know these people. They are set on evil. They said, it's not my fault. Their fault. They said to me, verse 23, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, Let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. And I can only imagine Moses looking at him and going, You know I'm writing a book on this, right? First chapter's already been published. They say it's going to be an international runaway bestseller for thousands of years. I'm wanting to have you in the book. Really? That's what you want to go with. You're going to be a real nimrod here. You'll read about him in book one. Okay. And friends, the tragedy of this is that for hundreds of years, hundreds of years, the children of Israel found anything and everything to worship instead of a relationship with God. For hundreds of years, they set up every kind of idol imaginable, They set up the idol. It was a bull sitting down on a throne, and he had his hands out on his lap, a personified bull. And in his hands held a cauldron. It was the god of Moloch. And that cauldron burned hot, and it was several feet off the ground. And the children of Israel brought their babies, the inheritance that God gave to them, their babies. And they threw their babies up into that burning cauldron as a sacrifice to Moloch every kind of disgusting, abominable, ungodly act of idolatry, they did it. It was the works of their own hands. We'll worship this and say that this is what brought us success. And it wasn't until hundreds of years later when God had them carried off into captivity, first into Assyria and then into Babylon, that idolatry was broken from the Jewish people forever from the time of the captivity until today Israel has never returned to idolatry God knew how to get their attention it was to send them down into the deprivation and the terrors and the abuse and the horror of, of captivity in Assyria and in Babylon I'll get their attention and they'll be made fun of down there so much so that in Ezekiel they came to Ezekiel and said hey here you people are musicians why don't you take them harps down and play them they put a bunch of hooks on the, the walls like what Sean has in his office and they hung all their harps up on their the hooks in their houses here bring your harps down and play for us. And the children of Israel looked at their captors, the one mocking them, and said, how can we play the songs of Zion when we're held captive in a foreign land? All their joy was gone. They had nothing left to, to be joyful about because God had said, if you want foreign gods, if you want false gods, I'm going to give it to you. You won't like how this ends. His invitation from day one had always been Do not go, Jeremiah 25, after other gods, to serve and worship them. Don't provoke me to anger with the works of your hands. Then I'll do you no harm if you just follow me. Verse 7, but you have not listened to me, declares the Lord. You have provoked me to anger with the work of your hands to your own harm. What is it that you have placed in front of Jesus as the source of your rescue? Are you actively worshiping something of your own creation or have you cut straight to the self-indulgence of the party that follows? What is it that you have placed in front of Jesus? First off, they chose Moses over a personal relationship. Secondly, they chose idolatry over a personal relationship. And then thirdly, they chose legalism over a personal relationship. During the captivity, during those years in captivity, the Jewish leaders sat down and they said, now what in the world did we do to get ourselves into this kind of predicament? Oh, this must be it. He must be irritated about that whole breaking the law thing. Well, okay, we don't want to do that anymore, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to protect the law. We're going to set the law over there. And we're going to make rules around that law. We're going to make a hedge around that law so we don't even run the risk of breaking that law because we can't get past this hedge. So when it says, don't work on the Sabbath, what we're going to do is define work and we're going to define it as don't lift more than the weight of half an olive on the Sabbath. And if you don't do that, then you'll be sure not to break that law. We're not certain what it means, but we're going to keep you away from the law. And they had all these rules and regulations that they added to God's simple command... And they codified those rules into what's called the Talmud. There are two Talmuds, and they are the collections of all of those rules. they are books and volumes and volumes of the Talmud. And by the time Jesus had come along, they had worshipped the writings of the Talmud so much more than the law, that the law was almost extraneous. It's, It's secondary, it's superfluous, what do we need it for? By the time Jesus came along, legalism was killing the people. They couldn't, they couldn't stand up under it to such an extent that Jesus said in Luke 11, Woe to you lawyers. <laughs> I don't want Jesus saying woe to me. <laughs> woe to you lawyers also. For you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Verse 52, Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge You did not enter yourselves, and you are hindering those who are entering. They substituted a personal, growing, ongoing, life-giving, hard-work relationship with Jesus with the relative ease of demands and a whip. Friends, it's far easier to punish your children than to walk with your children. Jesus never intended it to be this way. He never intended a relationship with Him to be about blindly following the rules. It has always been a personal invitation. Come. Come. In John 21, after the resurrection, they're out there fishing, and He's up on shore, and He yells out to him, Come and dine! I have biscuits and gravy ready. Come and dine! We've got sausage on the side. It's turkey sausage. We're good to go. Come! Come and dine with Me! He looks at him and... Matthew chapter, Mark chapter 6, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. I'm going. Why? Don't you just come with me. Matthew 28, we've already said it. Come to me. You're worn out, beat up, exhausted, haggard. Your church is wearing you out. You just can't get any rest. Come to me. And I will give you rest. And friends, it's not an invitation to learn about Him. It's an invitation to be with Him. <laughs> just to spend time with Him. Okay, now, here's a personal confession. I have read more than a book or two on Wyatt Earp. Okay? Some of you are going, that sounds like a condition rather than a person, but Wyatt Earp was this dude in the Old West. I know a lot about Wyatt Earp. I know when he was born... I know where he was born. I know where he was raised. I know when they moved to California. I have been, I know where he's buried. They couldn't find him for 30 years because they buried him in a Jewish graveyard. Can you, now those of you who know who White Earp was, imagine him in a yarmulke. Okay. That's comedy right there. That's comedy. Oh, White Earp was a killer. Somebody said he wasn't a killer. He lived with that woman for 50 years. (laughs) She was a piece of work. But anyway, I know his mother's maiden name. I know how tall he was, how much he weighed in his adult years. I've been to the graves of him and all of his siblings, all of their spouses, his parents. I know more about Wyatt Earp than anyone with normal brain function should know. Okay, What could Robert have done if he had aspired to something more than Wyatt Earp? But here's the reality. I know all kinds of things about Wyatt Earp, but what? I don't know why it hurt. He died in January before my mother was born in June of that year, and I wasn't there for that. This is not an invitation to know about Jesus. This is not talking about someone who died 2,000 years ago and they're buried and their disciples spirited their body away and, oh, we have to go to a shrine. No, this is an invitation to a relationship with a someone here now who looks at you and says, won't you just come? Just come and talk with me. Let's just come and visit with me. Let's just spend some time together. Friends, all, all of the commands of Jesus can be reduced to three. Three things that he tells us to do, and they all have to center around him. He said, come to me. When you get to me, I want you to follow me. And while you're following me, I want you to go for me. They're all wrapped around him. Do you know Jesus Christ? didn't ask you, do you know about him? I didn't ask you how many boxes you can check on your offering envelope as you hand it in on Sunday to just prove how spiritual you are. I said, do you know Jesus and friends, the Jews, by the time Jesus came along, had substituted legalism and law for knowing God, but God does not give His Spirit to us because we obey the law, according to Galatians 3. He gives us the Spirit because we trust in Jesus. God does not give us an inheritance because we obey the law. He gives us an inheritance because of a promise. And friends, it says in Ephesians 2 that we're all dead in trespasses and sin and dead men don't need laws. Dead man doesn't need any laws. What a dead man needs is life. And you don't get life from the law according to Galatians 3.21. You get it from a relationship with Jesus. And I've said it before and I hope to say it a thousand more times. You don't go to heaven because you're good. You don't go to hell because you're bad. The problem is Sin. There was sin that built a wall between us and God where we looked at Him and said, No. Come and, come and be with me. I just want to have a relationship with you. No. We're going to send Moses over there. We're going to set up idolatry. We're going to set up legalism. But for you and us, No. And that sin became a wall between us according to Isaiah 59. And the Bible tells us that Jesus came for the express purpose of dealing with the sin. The sin's been dealt with. He died for it on the cross. He rose from the dead. The sin has been dealt with. It's no longer an issue. The only issue that remains now is Jesus. Do you know Jesus Christ? He's the answer now. He's the only issue we could be concerned with. Do you know Jesus Christ? Because friends, to know Jesus, this is salvation. This is eternal life, according to John 17, 3, that they know the Father and the only Son that He has sent. Do you know Jesus Christ? Boy, I go to church a lot. Man, I'm there a lot. I, I mean, I, and I really try to do nice things most of the time. I did once or twice at least. That should be good enough. But there are going to be an entire class of people in Matthew chapter 7 who look at Him and... Say, oh, we've done so many great things. We've prophesied in your name. We've cast out demons in your name. We've done many works in your name. And Jesus said, I will look at them and say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Why? Because I never knew you. Do you know Jesus Christ? Friends, if you don't, we'd love to invite you to talk with us afterwards about how you can have a relationship with Jesus. How you can experience the wonder, the splendor, the glory of forgiveness of sin. What it means to be forgiven of my sin and be able to commune with the eternal God. If you'd like to know more about what God's Word, the Bible, has to say about how you can become a Christian, we'd love to talk with you. And afterwards, we're going to have some folks up here to pray with you today. So if you want to take advantage of that, please do it. Well, what we're going to do right now is we're going to observe the Lord's Supper we do call this the Lord's table for that reason we practice what's called open communion if you have accepted Jesus as your Savior we invite you to partake with us it's not ours to hinder you from His table but we do want to take a little bit of time beforehand to just stop and ask Him is there there anything I need to take care of how how am I doing with you and friends He'll tell you (laughs) He'll tell you how you're doing with Him if we'll just stop and ask Him are you willing to do that Let's take just a few minutes. Let's pray and ask Him, God, what do I need to clean up with You? What have I set between You and me? Have I placed another person ahead of You? Have I placed the works of my own hands and idol ahead of You? Am I trying to live by legalism instead of relationship with You? Let's go to Him in prayer and see what He has to say. Father, thank You so much that he, God... to. To imagine that you wanted a relationship with us so much. You would initiate it. You would provide everything necessary for that relationship before we even knew we needed it. God, how can we ever say thank you adequately for that? Father, we want to start. and We want to start by giving you our lives. You gave us Jesus. Dear God, thank you. Father... We want to use these experiences out of the Old Testament for what your word said, a warning and an example. Father, in what ways have we set other people ahead of you? In what ways have we been willing to take other people's version of events rather than just sitting down with you, reading your word, hearing your spirit? God, in those areas we ask you to forgive us. Father, in what ways have we set the works of our own hands? Have we set up idolatry of things that we're convinced we have provided for ourselves rather than honestly acknowledging you're the one who gave this. God, we ask you to forgive us for attributing to anything the glory that is due to only you. Father, there's so many of us who try to be good, try to do right. I'll try and do better. But Father, legalism never worked then and it doesn't work now. Father, please forgive us for using rules as an excuse rather than allowing them to do what they're supposed to do, be the schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Father, in these ways and so many others that we've failed, you want to ask you to forgive us. As we come to this observance where we just remember, recognize, acknowledge the sacrifice of Jesus, we want to, we want to say thank you. We want to proclaim his death well, because in his death we're forgiven of sins. Thank you so much. The way we do things here is we pass out the bread, we invite you to take it, hold it until everyone has, and then we will partake together. If the ushers, the deacons would come.